So today we have Tim Hoffman back on with us. Last time we talked about Passover and basically the focus of that was we kind of looked at, again, we're kind of going through different studies of the World Mission Society where they try to prove Passover is, they'll say things like uh, the core of the gospel. What we, what we point out last time is they, they get to the point of saying Passover is the gospel. Um, it is the way of salvation. Um, and so we kind of emphasized how uh, they twist the scriptures in order to reach those conclusions. And, and, um, and we'll probably continue to do that in future videos, just going to specific studies about the Passover that they use and showing where they go off. And so if you haven't watched that, I would encourage you to go back and watch that video. Um, it's a little bit longer, but I think it'll be helpful for you guys who are wrestling with um, the World Society's teachings that they've t taught you about the Passover and, and hopefully will help you to begin to basically untrain your mind from from the things they've taught you about it um, you can leave this group and find full redemption and and free uh free from condemnation relationship with god without keeping the passover in the way that they're they they have taught you and so that's kind of the point of these videos but today what we want to do and what i'm excited about this is there, it really doesn't get any better than this subject. We're just gonna. We just want to talk about the gospel. We want to talk about Jesus Christ and and not not as much focusing on what is not true about the world and society, but focusing on what is true about Jesus, who He is, and what the gospel is. And I think when you do that, as we're going through and, and trying to help you guys. Uh, um, get freedom from the Passover teachings, I think that can be done very quickly and simply by, by the simple exercise of focusing and studying and understanding who the Bible says Jesus is, what he is for us, and what is the gospel. Because when that's emphasized, when that's put in the right place in your mind and heart, right, wouldn't you say like that in itself is going to begin to untangle you from the false yeah. teachings of this church. When you know who Jesus is, you're gonna quickly be able to look at the teachings of this group and what they say about Jesus, and you're gonna be able to discern, no, that's not true. Yeah. It's kind of like when I get to know, when I know my wife, I know her better than anybody. And so um, if somebody comes along and says, you know, starts to describe my wife and who she is, like. I don't. I don't have to sit and pick apart every everything they say and try to like argue against that. Like I know my wife, so I immediately know when they say something that's not true about her. I know it's not true. And the same way, I think we can grow in our relationship and knowledge of Jesus, so that when we're we encounter false teaching like this, we just we know instinctively in our hearts like that's not the Jesus I know. Yeah. When when you have uh, there are people that are trained to know what a counterfeit $100 bill is. They spend all their time studying what a real $100 bill looks like. Yes. So that they can spot a counterfeit hmm. like that. They just they just yeah. need to know the real thing. That's so, a great yeah. analogy. So that's our point today. We want to focus on what is the real thing. Biblically, what is the gospel? So I think first so we're gonna we're gonna kind of jump around to a couple things. But one thing I wanted to look at First is I want to just read through this section of Isaiah 55, which I know is a passage that they they use. Again, they will cherry pick and they'll pull out a verse or two here to um, basically they use it as a supposed prophecy that Ong Song Hong fulfilled. But I want to emphasize something in here that I, I 
don't think, if you've studied this passage with the World Mission Society, I don't think they've emphasized these things, that this this passage really is kind of at the core of it. So Isaiah 55, verse 1, um, I'm just going to read this, Tim, and then we can kind of talk about it. So it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you without money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which is does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of food. So I think what sticks out to me about this passage and kind of what I wanted to pull out of this that I think is going to be one of the main things we focus on here is this these phrases where he says come to the waters you without money you you guys who don't have any money basically you don't have anything to to pay for the things that you need to get mm. and then he says come buy wine and milk without money and without cost so we have god here offering us uh uh wine and milk and bread water, all these things that he's offering us, which obviously these are symbol this is symbolic language for eternal life, for for the forgiveness of sins, for the 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 freedom of our soul. Um, what he's doing though is he's saying the type of people that can get this, who can get these benefits from me, he's saying it's those without money. It's those who don't have money and the things that I'm offering are given without money and without cost. Mm. So this is emphasizing, I think maybe uh, a scripture you were maybe wanting to get to is Ephesians 2, basically emphasizing the freeness mm-hmm. of the gospel. So when you see this, what do you see in terms of what the gospel is? Well, I mean, you just said it, it the, the freedom of it, that, that, that there isn't anything that we have that we that we have to have in order to attain it. We just have to accept it in mm-hmm. a sense. Yep. And I think maybe real quick, we could, what this would connect to very well as another another very popular passage that they'll 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 use to teach their form of the world and society will use to teach their form of salvation so john 6 uh 27 to 29 i just want to connect isaiah 55 back to that so john 6 27 he says don't work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed a seal of approval. So you see the same language of food. The Bible, the Bible often speaks about food. Human beings, as spiritual beings, we need spiritual food in order to live. Um, and so that's being emphasized here, and it's emphasized in Isaiah 55. But he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. This is exactly what he's saying in Isaiah 55 when he says, why do you... Uh, why do you spend your money on that which does not satisfy? Your labor on that which does not satisfy? Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? He's saying the same thing as Jesus is saying. But here's the main thing I want to focus on here. Verse 28, again, this is something we've talked about already, but it's it's so worth bringing up again because this, again, this gets at the core of the gospel and what it is. So the people ask, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus replied, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So I think, Tim, when I see this, like what I'm doing and what I see in my and feel in my heart when I read this is like such a connection to Isaiah 55 in relation to 
the freedom of the gospel, the freedom of salvation, the 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 fact that the New Testament over and over will talk when talking about salvation and forgiveness of sins, it's talked about as a something that is free and it's a gift. Mm. Um, and so, I, I think maybe something that would be worth asking is when you consider and in your your experience studying this group, when you hear their version of the gospel, does it come across as something that correlates with these words free and gift? No, not not free. If you if you have to do it some kind of if it has prerequisites to it, so that is like you have to keep the Passover, you know, like you're you're scrambling to make sure that you can get there on the fourteenth day of the first month to make sure you do this thing, then then there's there's a certain amount of fear and an and and also the response to that is that you've naturally it almost seems like you've earned it um, you've earned it yeah that, yeah that that this was the wage that you've been paid for your obedience to the passover exactly uh, which is the opposite of what uh, the bible teaches yeah so a gift uh, one definition of a gift is that it's it's something that's given willingly to someone without payment uh, a present so a really simple analogy, and again, this is Isaiah 55, where he's saying, without payment, right? What God wants to give us, what God is offering humanity is something that he wants to give without the stipulation of receiving payment for it. So again, it's, it's something given willingly, without payment. I think a simple analogy would be a father and son analogy, which again is sim- symbolism that's used by Jesus and is used through the scriptures. Our relationship to God is one of a, a son or a child with his father. Well, me being a father of three boys, I don't ever require my kids to do anything to give me anything in order for me to give them food, to give them water, to give them shelter, to give them protection. And isn't that the way God wants us to relate to him? Isn't that at the core what the gospel is? Yeah. We call him Abba, Father. You know, he, we, he, that's, I, I think that's probably the, the name that he wants to be called the most. Abba. Probably more than Jehovah or Yahweh. I bet he wants to be called Father. So what, what talk, maybe talk about that, Abba. Like, what, what does that mean? Like, kind of unpack that a little bit. Unpack what does that mean in correlation with the gospel and how God wants us to come to him, to, to relate to him. Yeah. So there's, there's different titles for God, God being one of them. Um, and then Yahweh being, Yahweh is his covenantal name uh, or Jehovah, as many of you would call him. Um, but also we are, we, he, we are known as the children of Israel, his people, uh, children. We're never called the, the adults of, of God, but the children of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we, we have this, this perfect image of a father um, that that is our creator. He, he, in a sense, he is our physical father because he created us. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's so many pictures throughout the Bible of of his loving kindness towards us, treating us as his children, mm-hmm. uh, even disciplining us as children. You know, the Proverbs speaks of loving your child through discipline. Yep. Well, he does the same thing to yep. us. You know, there's so many pictures of it. Yep. But and so I I, th- I think at the core, like a father with his son. What we know is that God wanting us to relate to him primarily, like you said, and I agree, when we come to him, we, we come to him as our Abba, as our, what is that word in the original language? Like for us, English speaking people, 
what what is there like a correlating word that we could use that would kind of unpack that word Abba in a more uh, clear way? Um, it it comes and so it's the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet Aleph and Beit and Aleph uh, means the strength and the Beit means the house. So literally speaking, Ab or Father is the strength of the house. So you just think about this strong authority in a house as being the father. And so that's the, that's the most uh, primitive way to describe that word in Hebrew. Okay. Um, yeah. So it, here's, here's a question that I think we could ask from that. So the gospel being something that is freely given, it's something that, that can correlate to a father's relationship to a son, to his child, where a child, you know, and, that, and that's kind of, didn't Jesus kind of emphasize that in the Gospels where he says you must become like little children? Like these, yeah. um, he's probably getting at that a little bit. Like he, he, he says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into the experience of salvation, forgiveness and righteousness and peace and joy, he said, you have to become like a little child. And, and I think the reason for that is because human nature I think you can look around the world and you can see all these religions and you see that human beings want to, they, they feel this inclination, they feel this drive that they have to perform, they have to do, they have to work in order to get God's approval, to get God's blessing, to get God's favor. I believe Christianity is the only religion that goes completely against that grain of every other world religion and every cult group that deviates from true Christianity. Um, I think at the core of every false religion, you have this same uh, idea of we work, we do, and then God repays. If we do our part, God will then do our part. <laughs> mm. I think the gospel, the true gospel, it flips that idea completely upside down. And it says it's, it has nothing to do with that. Actually, if you want to partake in God's blessing, you got to become a child who has nothing to offer God. And you got to get into a humble position of heart and mind where you have nothing to offer yeah. except for your your awareness, basically, that you do have nothing to offer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're always going to screw up just like a child. Like a child wants, maybe wants to get their father to, like, show approval to him. But when that, when that, when that child fails, the father can still show approval and love towards that child. Because mm -hmm. that child is going to screw up just like we're going to. We're going to fail. We can't be perfect enough. We can't keep enough commandments. We can't keep Passover perfectly enough yep. to, to you know, warrant, you know, the, the kind of relationship that we're trying to earn. Yeah, absolutely. So one, one thing I want to point out, this is from Sermon Book 1. And this is, I'm going to just read a couple quotes here and then... Maybe Ephesians 2, or you, what, what verse in Ephesians 2 were you want to look at? Um, I, I was going to go with the old faithful and true 8 through 10. Perfect. So we'll get to that. First, what I want to do is I just want you to hear this, and then we're going to focus in on um, what Ephesians 2 8 says. And I think it kind of brings some clarity. So this is, again, Sermon Book 1. This is page 8. Um, it says, What is the way to repay God? who sacrificed for us even to the point of death. Wow. Then you jump down a little bit. It says, We are the heavenly children who have received the forgiveness of sins. Let us preach the sacrifice of God and the gospel of the new covenant boldly so that we can repay God for his grace. I mean, first off, 
that's that's like an oxymoron. That's like a contradiction right there. You can't yeah. that 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 shows fundamentally the misunderstanding of what grace is, right? Yeah. So um, um, maybe unpack that a little bit. I know I know we we said we don't want to focus too much on just saying what's wrong, but it, it's hard to yeah. not yeah. stop and look at this like a quote like that. Repay yeah. God for His grace. Yeah. So uh, here's kind of kind of a. Really cool thing, and you can find out more about this online uh, if you just research what patronage is. Um, there's this there's this ancient thing like concept called patronage within the Roman system, and it's a New Testament terminology of what grace is. So grace in the in Greek is charis, um, and the whole idea of this is that you have a relationship between two people. You've got somebody that's got all the goods. They've got They've got the wealth and influence, political power, maybe. And then you're down here, you're a client, and you don't have those things, but you need some sort of resources from this person. So this person in this in this circle of grace, this person's this patron is able to give you a gift. And at that point, you can choose to accept it or not. Let's assume that you accept it. That's the second part of this of this circle. You accept the gift. You cannot repay this person. Because you don't, you don't have any ability to mm. do so. In fact, it would actually be insulting to try to do that. Mm. What you can do is gratitude. Gratitude is a big thing mm. in the ancient world, and Paul talks about that a lot, mm. is being grateful. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yes. Gratitude. You praise, you tell everybody, this guy, he did great things for me. And you, know, and you just tell, tell, tell all the people, you know, there's a great example of it, and I think it's in Luke, but there's, there's a centurion, and he has a, a servant that is sick. He, and so... A group of Jews actually come to Jesus and they're like, hey, the centurion, he's a great guy. He helped build our synagogue. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these are people that were clients to, and the this, this centurion was a patron. So they're like showing, they're praising this, this centurion because they, he, this guy did great things for us. So then they're, they're going to Jesus saying like, can you heal the servant kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So they're working on his behalf a little bit because they've received a gift from the centurion. Mm-hmm. So this was a picture of the circle of grace. Mm-hmm. Where, where Jesus really comes in to this circle. So, so we have God who's got all the goods. Yep. We're down here. We do not have the goods. We want the goods. He gives us eternal life. We get to accept it. And then there's nothing we can do to repay him for it. So we, we praise him. We tell everybody, I got eternal life. I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't do anything for it. But I have it. You can have it too. You just have to accept it. So this is, this is the way the circle of grace goes. Mm-hmm. And with Jesus... Actually, he's a mediator in the system. So if if you don't have a relationship with the Father, Jesus has a better relationship with the Father. You go through Jesus. Jesus, with his connection to the Father, in a sense, is able to get you in connection to the circle of grace. So that's he's he's a mediator within the circle of grace. And once again, you can learn more about this uh, online. Just put in patronage grace, and you can find different articles on it. It's a really interesting thing, though. And I think what that sets up, though, and what that displays is again Christ, that, that's that's a great depiction of I think true Christianity if you yeah. want to call it that or uh, what the gospel truly is what Jesus truly provided for and it is this idea where you have God with all the goods all the provision and you have man with nothing and you have God what what false religion will say, what false gospels will always say, and you see Paul having to deal with this in Galatians and Colossians and, and all throughout the New Testament, is false religions will say God's up here and he's he's 
looking at us down here saying, you here, here's these steps to follow, here's these observances to keep, here's these, these rituals to observe. And if you do these things and you do them right and you do them well and you do them consistently and you never stop, then maybe someday you can come up here with me kind of idea. <laughs> like at, at the core of what every religious gospel, false religious gospel preaches, it's going to be a f some form or another of that. And, and every system is that. Even it's something like Buddhism that's not necessarily as focused on God. It's all about you, you, your energy. It's about human will, human exertion. You see Paul in Romans 9 talking about God's mercy and grace not being dependent on human will and human exertion. It's not dependent on me saying, oh, God's up there and I'm down here so, and God's just waiting for me to like grit my teeth and do my part and pray hard and keep these observances and preach enough and then maybe someday, some way, I'll attain to this. Yeah. If that's the system you're following, which again, is every false gospel, every religious system besides Christianity, I think, as far as I'm aware of, unless there's one, you know, if there's another one like like Christianity that's all about grace. Um, but, but, but I think what Christianity does that's unique, what the true gospel does that's unique is that you have God with all the goods up here, like you said, and what he does rather than saying, you figure out how to get up here with me by keeping all these commands and rituals. Rather, what, what happens, we see Jesus coming down and coming to be like one of us, he actually descends and comes down to where we're at. And, and then he kind of brings us back up there freely as an act of grace. And something that you said that's interesting is you said, if in that system, if you try to repay that person, it's actually insulting. And that man, that, that right there summarizes, I think, the book of Galatians that Paul is trying to get at these believers with like, yeah. guys, you're going to, you're insulting God by thinking that you can yeah. go back and revert to doing these rituals. And, and it's not that the rituals of, you know, people are circumcised and, and they do these things. It's, it's the heart behind it that the Galatians were thinking my action of being circumcised is, is my action of repaying God, basically. They were trying to do exactly what the WMSCOG here is telling and teaching as believers that we need to do, which mm -hmm. is repay God. But what you're saying in that system, it's actually yeah. an insult. Yeah. So to maybe tell us, talk about like with the gospel, people who are actually like, maybe let me read this, this other quote actually real quick. So just to kind of emphasize this again, here's another quote from page 36, sermon book one. It says, um, Heavenly Father, Ong Song Hong walks, walk the same path. How can we repay God for his boundless love? Um, then you jump down uh, at the bottom of this page. It says, as the heavenly children who receive the forgiveness of sins, let us preach the love and sacrifice of father and mother to the whole world so that we may repay them for their grace. What, what do you think is the danger of operating in this system? And correlate that again to the fact that in that patronage system, it's an insult to repay. Like in God's eyes, if we're trying to repay him, how does he see that? And, and what does that ultimately, what does that mean for us? Yeah, my opinion is that you don't know him. Hmm. Like if, if you're trying to uh, earn it and repay it through, you know, what he, what he gave us is unrepayable because it's so much more than what we could ever mm -hmm. have anyway. But it, 
it, it, it, the character of God is, I feel like you're insulting the character of God. Yep. And that, and that's, that's shameful. It's just, it's shameful to, to, to think that, that God could be uh, bought off in, in that sense, kind of. I know that they wouldn't say that that's what they're doing, but I don't know. It, it seems, it seems like you don't know the character of mm-hmm. God. And they are in some ways, basically in essence saying, I mean, clearly saying that it is something that God kind of wants us to seek in this life to repay him. And yeah, I think ultimately when you're doing that, you're actually following into a, you're following into a false works based gospel where actually rather than depending on God as a child for everything, you're actually now depending on self, which goes back to the sin of Adam and Eve. It is all about self-focus, self-trust, self-reliance. And God is trying to break human beings of that. And he showed in the gospel He's not looking for. He's not looking for our strength to bring to the table. He's not looking for what we have to offer. He's looking for those who will come as children and say, "I have nothing to repay you with, but thank you for what you've freely given me." Yeah. And uh, and so let's. I'm going to jump here. I'm going to read Matthew 10, and then I'm going to let you read Ephesians 2:8, and we'll talk about those quick. And um, so Matthew 10:8, um, it says, "Freely you re- have received." freely give. And so again, we're emphasizing the freeness of the gospel, that it's something that's given back to Isaiah 55 without money and without cost. So let's, let's jump to Ephesians 2.8 and maybe share your thoughts on that. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through belief and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of Elohim or God. It is not by works so that no one should boast for we are his workmanship created in Messiah Jesus unto good works, which Elohim prepared before him that we should walk in them. So what I see in here is it's by faith. I mean, sorry, it's by by grace that you have been saved through faith. So we, we accepted. So the gift was given and by faith we received. It was not of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It is a gift of God. So it's important to understand because if, if it's not a gift, then it's, then we earned it, mm-hmm. and then it was a wage paid. Um, and then it says, "Not by works, or else we could boast. We, we'd be able to boast if we, if we did something to achieve it." Mm-hmm. Um, and then he he mentions that right after that that there is good after that for we are we are his workmanship created Messiah Yeshua unto good works. So we we are to do good works. However, first comes this salvation by grace through faith. No, we are to do good works. Here in a little while, we will kind of define what these good works are mm-hmm. because I know that you guys are going to try to make it sound like it's Passover, but uh, yeah. we're going to see that it's it's going to involve a little bit more of the heart. Yes, um, that's good. So it's a gift. So, so it says, by grace, um, you have been saved through faith. So grace, that, that word grace, maybe let's stop there for just a second. Grace, grace is something that is given freely. It's something that is unearned, and not deserved. So systems that say, if you do this, then that warrants God giving you grace. Or, or as you just see clearly just spelled out in this sermon book where it says, we, we should repay father and mother. We should repay God for their grace. Well, that's a contradiction. If you're repaying for grace, well, then it's no longer grace because 
grace at its core, the very definition of what it is, it must be something that's given, that's not deserved, it's not earned, it's not something given as a result of what you have done. And if it, if if you're giving somebody something on the basis of what they've done, of what they've brought to the table of, of payment they've made, whether that's Passover, whether that's preaching, whether that's uh, uh, praying enough, reading your Bible enough, you know, what, whatever it is, fill in the blank. If, if you're giving, if God is giving somebody something on the basis of those things, then that's not grace. That's a wage, like you said. Yeah. Um, and so something, uh, so the, something that is by grace, that's a gift. Uh, it, it's something that's acquired without compensation. So God, the, this gospel, this good news that God has given us of the good news of Jesus, it's the good news that God does not require compensation for what he has given us. He does not require us or desire us to repay him for what he's done. Um, we glorify God not by seeking to pay him back for the, the free gift of salvation that he's given us. We glorify God by um, giving him thanksgiving, by worshiping, by, by proclaiming that we did nothing, we de earned nothing, we deserved nothing, and he freely gave us everything, um, which goes back to Matthew 10, 8, where he says, freely you've received, freely give. Um, so a question I think from that is, is the, the Wumskog salvation and forgiveness, is it something that's given in your, in your estimation, is it something that's given without compensation? The, their, their way of looking at it? Yeah. When you, the, the way you understand their gospel, the gospel they preach, do you see it as something that they say salvation and forgiveness of sins is given without requiring compensation or without requiring, is, is it something that's given as a gift? It seems to me that that it's not a gift by the way that they describe it. However, I, I think that they would probably, they, would, they yeah. would believe that it, they're, they'd probably believe that it is a gift, but we have to repay. And yes. so they're going to try to find a way to separate the two mm -hmm. and say like, it truly is freely given. However, we, we really have to repay yes. something. Yes. I, I'm sure that they, they would find a way to agree. Which is kind of what Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses do too. Um, I think if I, I think if I remember right, I've I've heard from former members that it, it it's kind of the idea that we get in freely, but then we stay in, kind of as a result of what we do. So, let me just ask you this: in your estimation, is that an accurate depiction of the gospel? Is the gospel something where yes, it's free at the beginning, like God lets us in the door freely, but then He says, if you want to stay in, you. And, and when I say stay in, I'm referring to um, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be counted righteous before me, you do your part, you do your things, and in return, I'll continue to give you forgiveness and, and bestow righteousness on you. I think that's a pretty accurate, I would say, and you guys, again, if you're hearing that and you're like, no, we don't believe that, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't. I think that that's from what I know about this group, that's kind of the way you guys look at it, that it's you get in for free, but you stay in on the basis of what you do. Yeah, and that seems to be what I've seen in comment sections. There's there's often a lot of um, quotations of James 2 and stuff where you have faith, but then works and, and which 
I'm in agreement with in the sense of um, that that works with faith without works is is dead faith. And and but I think your works and what they're gonna the works that they're gonna emphasize are going to be maybe emphasized for like what you're saying here with the repayment that that's not the emphasizing yep. of what the works are. It's it's that I'm transformed. Mm -hmm. So naturally. I'm going to do, I'm going to be transformed into the image of God, you know, and, and exactly. the character of God. And, and so he has called me to do all these different things, feed people, not oppress people, deliver people with justice. I mean, just, you know, the weightier matters. Mm -hmm. That's good. I think, yeah, James, James too is something that I think we'll kind of end this video with before we do that. I, I think a good a good explanation, one of the clearest explanations is the pattern of Abraham for how we get saved. But uh, I would tell you guys, I hope you'll stick around because we do want to get to James. That's a huge thing. And, and it is one of the, yeah, the primary accusations brought against us is that we promote a gospel that, that de-emphasizes uh, obedience or basically that says you believe, but you don't have to obey. And that's, that's a misrepresentation of what we actually believe. And so we're going to explain that and clarify that, which I know we've done in the past. We're going to do it again and hopefully dive into a little bit more James chapter two and some of the context there. And there's actually some pretty shocking things that it's when I when I kind of pulled James two up recently and looked at it after members have been throwing that at us. It's like, man, that's, I'm telling you guys, that's not a scripture you guys want to use if you actually look at it because it presents some major challenges for, um, for the world, the society, church of God. But let's, let's go to Romans 4. This, this, is, this has been one of my favorite places to go in talking about the gospel in response to um, the world, and society. And I know I don't want to forget, I know you have a couple... I think that will be a huge thing um, to get to. So let's let's talk about Abraham real quick, and then I'd like you to dive into that, and then we'll we'll end with talking about James. Um, so Romans four, I think, lays out some hugely significant things. And and yeah. right now, I just want I just want to speak kind of to people who are confused about God, who are confused about what God requires. What is it? How do you enter into a right, right relationship with God? How can you have peace with God? How can you know that you are, you are, <laughs> for lack of better terms, you're good. You're good to go with God. You're, you can have peace and rest knowing that he forgives you and that you're his child. So, um, so Romans 4, I'm going to just start at verse 1. Um, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, has discovered? Um, it, maybe, maybe. I'm going to have this pulled up for people to see, but maybe read this in your version because I kind of like start, starting at verse one. Let's start at verse one. Yeah. And go to what? Um, let's just go down to 12. Okay. Let's read this section. What then shall we say, Abraham, our father, to have found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was declared right by works, he was ground for boasting, but not before Elohim. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed Elohim, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. That's quoting Genesis 15, 6. Mm -hmm. And to him who is working, the reward is not reckoned for a favor, but as a debt. And to him who is not working, but believes on him who is declaring right the wicked, his belief is reckoned for righteousness. Even as David also says of the blessedness of the man to whom Elohim reckons righteousness without works. Quote, blessed are those whose lawlessnesses are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom 
Yahweh shall by no means reckon sin. That's Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised only, or also upon the uncircumcised? For we affirm, belief was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. How then was it reckoned, being in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Let's let's stop right there and let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So again, he says, is this blessing? So the blessing of the blessing he's talking about, right, is being credited as righteous before God, right? Where God looks at you and in God's perspective, he's defining you as righteous. The reason this is important is because if God's looking at you and he's not counting you as righteous, well, you're in big trouble. And that means you're under his wrath. So we need, we want the condition of humanity is that we need to figure out how can we be counted righteous before God. This really goes back to John 6, where, where the people came to Jesus and they said, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? I think in, in a sense, they're asking, what must we do for God to count us righteous? And Jesus says, this is the work. This is what you must do, believe in the one who he sent. So here he says, is this blessing, again, the blessing of being counted righteous by God, is it only for the circumcised or is it also for those who are uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited as righteousness. In what context was it credited? Was it after his circumcision or was it before? It was not after, but before. What, what is he talking about here? And why is he bringing this up? Why is he bringing up circumcision? Why is he, why is he concerned with when Abraham was circumcised and whether it was before or after? Yeah, so in the first century, there was a big argument about um, what it, you know, what it was to be saved or to be a part of the group. Because if you were to be in the group or out of the group, that's in the first century, that was, that was the way of saying, you're saved. If you're a part of the group, you're saved. If you're outside the camp, you're not saved, essentially. Uh, there's a big argument in that, and Acts 15 kind of really comes into mm-hmm. into picture there. But some of the Pharisees, because the Jewish um, mindset at the time was was an order for a proselyte, somebody that wanted to enter into Judaism, and this happened with early Christianity that we see in Acts, with that same argument was coming up, was like, you need to be circumcised. Some of the Pharisees are saying, you got to be circumcised, because you can't keep the Passover uh, unless you're circumcised. Um, in in Jerusalem, uh, you can't do a re- you can't sacrifice a lamb at the at the altar unless you're circumcised, which is important uh, because that kind of deflates some of your Passover arguments. But mm-hmm. um, so that's that's kind of the argument that that Paul's talking about, and so he's he's taking us all the way back to Genesis, the beginning, the father of the faith, Abraham, and he's showing that at what point in time did did Yahweh Jehovah did he make this covenant with with Abraham and, and declare him to be righteous. And that was when Abraham acted, he left, he followed, he believed the word of the Lord and, and obeyed it. Uh, and that was before he got circumcised. So hmm. that that's, there wasn't. And how many years before? It was, wasn't it, was it years or am I? I'm, I can't remember. If I, if I remember right, I think it was, and I might be wrong, probably should have figured this out beforehand, but either way, it was, it was a, a extended amount of time before he was actually circumcised. Sure. But, before that point, what I think what he's emphasizing in Romans 4 is that that was the point in which God counted him yeah. as righteous, right? Yeah. He was counted as righteous before he did any ceremonial acts, any sign of the covenant, which circumcision is a sign of the covenant. 
And a lot of people, times people will try to make the case that these certain signs of the covenant are really, really important, like Sabbath and stuff. And you're not a real believer if you don't do this. Mm -hmm. Well, circumcision is a sign of the covenant, but Abraham was declared, was justified by faith before he had ever mm-hmm. actually done that physical act. Hmm. And God had always, even in Deuteronomy, he was, he was emphasizing, I want a circumcised heart because he's looking at the heart. He's always looking at the heart. Yep. So here's, I think, how this correlates to, the reason we're bringing this up, this is how it correlates to the world and society and their gospel. Again, what you're seeing in Romans 4 is Paul's, he's asking the question, he's basically getting at what, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? What do we have to do to know we're counted righteous? And at what point does God count us righteous? And he's asking, is it, if you look at this on the timeline, like if this is the point on the timeline where God says you're righteous, you're forgiven, you're my child, you're good to go. If you want to put it this way, you're going to heaven. Um, That point on the timeline, does that happen after we've done something? Like, Like first at this point in time, we do these things, whether it's Passover observance, preaching the gospel enough, doing these things and then God counts as righteous or is it the other way around? Again, this gets, I think at the core of what false gospels uh, at the core of what makes a false gospel, false gospel is, is what order do you put these things in? Okay. And so what makes the gospel free, what makes it a gift is the fact that, that we are justified or counted righteous, not after we've, been circumcised and circumcision here, I think could be applied to doing something. It's not after, like you said, we've, we've performed some ritual, we've done something. And then God looks at that and says, okay, you've done your part. Now you're kind of righteous. Um, Abraham here, he's over and over. He's called the father of faith, right? It's that we we're, we're told that we're to walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. Abraham's kind of held up as the example, the pattern of salvation of how God saves people. And the pattern that Paul is emphasizing and making irrefutably clear is that God first counts us righteous, and then the rituals, the observances, all those follow. But circumcision, what what does he say here? He says, um, if you jump down to verse 11 in Romans 4, he says, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So he he had righteousness, it says, before he was circumcised. So why was he circumcised? Was he circumcised? And and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Tim, but to this group, the World and Society, they will teach that baptism is the modern day circumcision, um, which I think there's some correlation there. Um, Mm. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but they they will put baptism as, as basically it's a requirement for, and they, they might not put it as a requirement to get in the door, but it's a requirement to stay. And, and so, um, so if we apply that to, to what he's saying here, he's saying, when are we circumcised on that timeline or, or when are we counted righteous? Is it, is it before or after baptism or is it before or after pa- uh, Passover observance? What he's telling us is that God counts us righteous as a free gift and it's free because he counts us as righteous before we've done anything. And then that act of circumcision, here, maybe unpack that a little bit. Like what, what's the point here that he's telling us of circumcision? Or if, if it's true, the, the, for us, baptism. Like what, what does that accomplish? What's the purpose of it? Is, it? is it to further solidify that righteousness or, or is it something else? 
Yeah, it's I, I would maybe interpret it as an outward symbol of an of an inner reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you've got circumcision, um, you know, you you can think twice before committing sexual sins when you see the sign of the covenant down below in your private parts. I mean, you, there's mm-hmm. there's a physical reminder. There's a lot of reminders that God puts on mm-hmm. around. Uh, baptism is something that is often you're going to have witnesses. People are going to witness this thing, this event, and to make that proclamation that you know Jesus is King. That's that's a you're, if you were to baptize and come up, um, that could be an affront. That could be a, a really a social way of like all of a sudden your friends are like, oh my gosh, and especially in that time frame in the first century in Judea, you get baptized in the name of of Jesus, then. That's going to cause some division in your family. Maybe that's going to that maybe you might you might get prosecuted by the Romans because that's an affront to the to the king. They mm-hmm. they worship Caesar. So I mean that's like a that's a big moment where you can really come against a public display of faith in action. Uh, so I but I see these things as as these physical symbols that are that are important and we ought to do them. Mm-hmm. However, that was it was some people were trying to say that it comes first, yep. and then you're into the group. And Paul's like, no, yes. Which, and that's that's the thing is so it's it's the order so it's I, I just have to say that it's a misrepresentation to say that we're promoting not getting baptized or even not keeping the Passover and me and Jesse have said this over and over we're not telling you don't keep the Passover we're not telling you don't observe Sabbath like if you feel a conviction to do those things then please do them it's it, what we're emphasizing is what order the order that you put those in concerning salvation is is everything. It means everything. It's it's uh, so important. And so he says here that circumcision. He received circumcision as a sign, uh, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So while. Abraham was still uncircumcised before he had done anything, God had already counted him righteous. So the way that I think this applies to this conversation to the world and society is that we can know that the gospel at the, uh, what, what makes the gospel, the gospel is that it's something that salvation and forgiveness of sins and righteousness is something God applies to us while we are yet uncircumcised. Um, and so to put that in simple terms, that means we are counted righteous before we do things, before we we perform, before we do any exertion. And um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I was going to kind of maybe tie it back to Acts 15 because it, it, it ties into this uh, this conversation yep. about circumcision. Uh, and it kind of brings up a couple of things. But so I'm going to read um Acts 15, 1, and then 8 through 21. So it says, From certain men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the practice of Moses, you are unable to be saved. So that's that's the point of this, mm-hmm. this conversation here. It says, and then verse 8, and, and God knows the heart, bore who... God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the set-apart spirit also to us and made no distinction. So uh, Paul and, and, and Peter are making some arguments here. He said, made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by belief. Now then, why do you try God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But through the grace of the Master... 
uh, Yeshua, Messiah, we trust to be saved in the same way as they. And all the crowd was silent, and we're listening to Barnabas and, and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God did among the Gentiles through them. And after they were silent, Jacob answered, or James answered, saying, Men, brothers, listen to me. Uh, Shimon has declared how Elohim first visited the, nation, the Gentiles to take them out for people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it has been written. After this, I shall return and rebuild the booth of David, which has fallen down, and I shall rebuild its ruins. I shall set it up, so that the remnant of mankind shall seek Yahweh, even all the nations on whom my name has been called, says Yahweh, who is doing all this, who has made this known from of old. Amos 9, 11 through 12. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the nations who are turning to God, but we write to them to abstain from the defilement of idols, from whoring, from what is strangled, and from what is blood, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those proclaiming him being read in the congregations every Sabbath. So, so what we see here is this conversation of these uh, the people trying to put on this this what they're describing as a yoke, a burden mm -hmm. uh, to you know to be a part of the group. You have to get circumcised, is what they're saying. And so then they're making the counter argument that no, 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 we're not, we're not going to. Our fathers didn't couldn't even bear that yoke kind of thing. This is. So they decided, okay, to be part of the group, these are the four things you need to do. These aren't these aren't actions of ceremonial thing. These are these are acts of repentance. I would say hmm. I would classify them as yep. as that you 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 do away with the idolatry. So all things related to idolatry, the idols, the fornications, of so sleeping with uh, temple prostitutes, that kind of thing, uh, meat or the strangled things, blood purification for blood. So all the, all the things related to, I interpret this as all things related to idolatry, you get rid of that, then you're in the door. So that in a sense, you have faith and you repent from, you, you leave those other gods mm -hmm. behind, you're part of the group. And then that last verse that I read, James is saying that, look, Moses is taught, so the law, the, the word of God is taught in every synagogue, every Sabbath. They're, if, if they're part of the, if, they're, if we allow them into the congregation, they're going to learn at a pace. They're going to learn. They're, you're going to feed them not, uh, wisdom through the word, and they're going to learn, and they're going to eventually do other things. But this is this is getting them through the door. They need to repent from idolatry. That's basically the requirement mm -hmm. that I'm seeing from what he's saying here. So the interesting thing is like what a what a great source for us to be able to go back to and look at. Okay, what what did the apostles actually teach the church in correlation to like what were the core, what, what were the requirements for salvation? And we can leave this with just saying this. You don't see Passover. Passover is not mentioned. Yep. Sabbath observance is not mentioned. Now, does that mean that you should not do these things or that, that it's wrong to do them or anything like that? Well, no. But what it means is that Paul, the apostles, Jesus, they never present Passover observance as something that is um, a requirement or a stipulation for being credited with righteousness as Abraham was. If if that were the case, if 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 we if we were reading here in Acts that it says, um, you know, these people said you must be circumcised or let's put in Passover, like you must these these Gentile believers who are converting, they must observe Passover in order to be saved. If we saw the apostles saying, yes, that's true, we, we, we count that as a good judgment, that you must keep Passover in order to be counted righteous. Well, 
the Bible would then be contradicting itself because you could flip back to Romans 4 and see, well, wait a minute. Abraham, the pattern of salvation of Abraham was that, well, Abraham never kept Passover, <laughs> obviously. Um, and before he did anything, he was credited with righteousness on the basis of his faith, of his trust in God. And so if Abraham is the pattern of salvation, then uh, that's what we're going to find in places like Acts 15. We're going to see that same pattern being displayed. And I think you do see that. And you see that he, there's no emphasis, there's no teaching about any rituals or observances that we must keep in, in, in uh, addition to faith. It's simply belief. And so here's, a, here's something, too, that I think was good that you emphasize is that it, it doesn't mean you believe and then you just keep living however you want. No. Faith is like a coin and there's two sides of that coin. And, and uh, if, you, if you have faith, you can't have faith without repentance. Like it's true faith will lead to repentance. And so, um, yeah. And so I think yeah, what this, there's a lot of verses that'll say repent and believe. In fact, it's like the first words that Jesus ever said. And John in, the Baptist. In, in Mark 1, two, yes. 115, I think he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven mm -hmm. is at hand. You know, so there's, it's, you know, it's implied within faith is that you're going to respond to the faith by by doing right. things and And we'll, we'll definitely get to that. We'll kind of wrap sure. up with that here in a minute with James. But you, yeah, I, I like how you pointed that out, that that's, that gets at some of the aspect of what's going on here in Acts yeah. 15. But I think the main thing to take away from that is why isn't Passover mentioned? If Passover is the core of the Bible, the core teaching of the Bible, if Passover is the gospel, which, which is uh, what, what these books tell you, what the world and society will tell you, why isn't it mentioned in this place, in these places? Um, I think, I think, one of the arguments I've heard, I don't know if this is their main argument they'd use to defend this, but they would say, well, it's kind of assumed already that you keep Passover, that that they already kind of knew that you need to keep Passover. And so they weren't dealing with that. They're dealing with uh, which I, I could I could see that that there's like an impl there's an assumption that mm -hmm. you're going because I use that argument with with uh, Sabbath as, as well. Mm -hmm. However, it's. And correlation it, it, it with salvation, would, but with salvation, yeah, it, it would if it if it was that important, it would have had to have been mentioned. Yeah, you can't leave you can't leave core details. Yeah, you know to to be just assumed. Yeah. So that's why there's usually an emphasis on changing of heart. Um, you know those kinds of things like defeating your flesh, like yeah. crucifying yourself, like living for God after you. You know, I mean, just all these different things are what we're expected to do you know, as a result of our faith, but never as it mentioned. Is it? Yeah. You know. um, so, yeah. So circumcision of the heart, it, that that's at the core. That's what God is wanting. That's what God's wanting to accomplish. And, and so this group, I think it gets to what Jesus said about you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. So you focus on these outward observances, these rituals, and you focus them on them and emphasize them so much that you're straining out that gnat, but in, in the midst of that, you swallow a camel. I think the camel that they swallow is they miss the focus of a changed heart. Um, and so like in Romans, I think it's Romans three, where it's, it says a true Jew is one who is circumcised inwardly. or inwardly circumcision is that of the heart. And so the, the transformation that God wants is not a transformation that you begin to adhere to a list of rules and rituals, which again, I would assert, I would, I would say 
uh, pretty confidently, that's what these books will teach you, that that's what God expects. I don't think that's what God expects. God, what God wants and what will happen as a result of true faith is a circumcision of the heart. Yeah. It looks like you maybe have a scripture there to go with Yeah, I, it just reminds me of, of Isaiah chapter 1, 11 through 17, uh, where he says, of, of what use to me are your many slaughterings, your, your sacrifices, declares Jehovah. I have had enough of your ascending offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courtyards? Stop bringing futile offerings, incense, incense, it is an abomination to me. New moons, Sabbaths, the calling of gatherings. I am unable to bear unrighteousness in assembly. My being hates your new moons and your appointed times. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. And when you spread out your hands, I hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I do not hear, for your hands have become filled with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil from your doings from before my eyes. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek right ruling. Reprove the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead the widow. So I, I bring this up not to diminish the Lord's feast and the Sabbath. And I don't think that he hates his own holidays and set apart times. However, if you, there are people out there in the past and even now that are going to do, they're going to just ritually do this. Is what the Pharisees were doing. I, I contend to you, this is what Wimscog is also doing. Is that they're focusing so much on on these on these some of these mm. outward signs and just fulfill, like oh this is pleasing God. We're going to keep these feasts and this and that. And God's over here like you guys are missing the point. Like you're you're doing this and that, but then you're neglecting. You're, you're not doing justice. You're not reproving the oppressor. You're not defending the fathers. You're pleading for the widow. You're doing evil. If, if you're not doing those things, God doesn't care about your passive. Yeah. Not, and, that's just the and the best evidence that that is what they're doing is when you see the testimony of every former member I'm talking to uh, and even current members are telling me that they're, yeah. they're explicitly told discouraged and told, do not yeah. preach to the handicapped, the homeless, the homosexuals, the group of people that Jesus said, these are the ones he came for. He said, I didn't come for those who are well, I came for those who are sick. And so that that is the clearest display of swallowing a gnat or, or straining on a gnat and swallowing a camel that I can possibly think of. That, that right there is the clearest example where you see they're emphasizing these ritual observances Thinking that for some reason somehow that's pleasing God, while all the while they're they're abusing the poor. They're, I'm literally hearing stories about homeless people coming into the congregation, and the pastor or one of the leaders, the deacons, them. will come and escort them out and be like, "You're, we don't really want you here." I mean, uh, that's not okay. <laughs> that's not okay, and that that is a reflection of yeah. what will happen when you get when, again going back to this order when you get the order of salvation flipped upside down, where it becomes not about God's grace toward you and God's love toward you and what God wants to do for you and the gift he wants to give, but it becomes about what you are willing to do for God in order to earn that favor. When you flip it around like that, what that does, it, it, it produces a hard heart. It produces an atmosphere, a culture inside of you of fear and selfishness, the opposite of what we're talking about, the circumcision of the heart. What circumcises our heart to God is when we relate to him based on his love for us and the free gift of salvation that he gives us, that he freely gives us 
the, it's that patronage example again. He has everything and he gives it to us freely. It's Isaiah 55. We come to him without money and without price. It's like the the Gentile and the tax or the tax collector and the Pharisee who are praying. The Pharisee thought he had it all together. He thought, you know, you could apply it to the world and society members who are saying, I keep Sabbath and I keep Passover and thank you, God, that you've made me righteous because I do these things. And then you have the tax collector saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. That person, Jesus said, went away justified because he knew he had nothing to offer God. When we come to God on that basis and we freely receive from him, what that does, it circumcises our heart. When we understand God accepts me before I've done anything, just like he did Abraham, that changes the culture of our heart. It produces a culture of thankfulness and worship mm-hmm. um, where we then are free to love. And, and I guarantee you, if, if you're that kind of person who's experienced that transformation, that circumcision of heart, when you see the lowly, you see the homeless, you're not going to escort them out and say, well, what are they doing? You're not going to you're not going to have that attitude. Like he says in first John, like if, if you don't have love, then you don't know God. Um, and so. Yeah. Again, I think you, you were going to point something out. Yeah, I've got a, I've got another one that's very, very similar. Um, it's Micah chapter six. Uh, read two through eight. It says, "Hear, O you mountains, the controversy of Jehovah." That word "controversy" in Hebrew is "riv," and it is actually, um, it's a legal term. And so, in the ancient world, they had all these covenants um, amongst nations, and they had treaties, vassal suzerain treaties, all this kind of stuff, but um, there would be a lawsuit. So you can you can have a legal lawsuit against somebody that, that breaks the covenant. And this is the word that he's using is that he has a controversy, he has a lawsuit against hmm. these people that have that have broken his covenant. Uh, so he says, the controversy of Yahweh and you everlasting foundations of the earth. For Yahweh has a controversy with his people and he shall reprove Israel. My people... What have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Answer me, for I have brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I ransomed you from the house of bondage, and I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. My people, remember, please, what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled, and and what uh, Balaam, son of Beor, ordered him, and from Shittim to Gilgal, in order to know the righteousness of, of Yahweh. What With what shall I come before Yahweh, and bow myself before the high Elohim? Shall I come from him with... Come before him with an ascending offering, with the calves of a year old. Is Yahweh pleased with a thousand rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn son for my transgression, the first, the fruit of my body, with the sin of my being? He has declared to you, O man, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of you, but to do right, to love, and to love loving commitment, and to walk humbly before your Elohim. Hmm. He wanted loving commitment, justice, and a walk humbly before his God. These are the weightier matters. So whenever we talk about commandments, yeah, we always have to know what what weighs more. And that is just crucial to understanding the heart of God because not all commandments are equal. Yeah, so as, uh, Psalm 51, um, 16, David, after the sin of, of Bathsheba, he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So, man, I think everything, like the, the prophets, David, they're, what they're testifying to here, really, again, is the pattern of the gospel. That what God's looking for in a human being is not a human being who has the strength in himself, to perform the rituals and to do his duties and to cross his, 
his T's and dot his I's. He's looking for the one who is at the point where he realizes, I have nothing to offer God. I have absolutely nothing. I'm empty. I'm like a child before a father who I have nothing to offer him. I'm completely dependent on his goodness to me. And if he's not good to me, there's nothing I can do to, to uh, there's no, I'm, I'm lost. Um, and so you see David saying what God was looking for, even in David, was not after David's sin, was not that he would go and perform a bunch of these rituals and, and, and do all these things, but rather what he delighted in was the contrite and broken spirit, the broken heart of David, mm-hmm. where David realized, I have sinned and he acknowledged it. It's really his first John where he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He doesn't say... If we confess our sins and we continue to keep Passover and we observe Sabbath and you make sure you're you're going out and preaching and doing and you know you're you're bringing in enough fruit is what exactly. the world society will say. We'll say that's your fruit, and members are terrified because some members they Aren't they don't they're not very good at getting and so they live in fear and condemnation. Oh, sure. um, that's not the gospel. Well, God's God's not looking for you to do all these things in order to give you His favor. He's looking for you to come to Him and realize I have nothing to offer. And I know I've sinned, I know I don't deserve it, but I know you are a God who loves me and you've displayed in Jesus that you want to do for me what I'm incapable of doing for myself. Yeah, I've got another one with the same same concept. It's got that, that Hebrew word riv, so it's a lawsuit. Um, it says, hear the word of the Lord. You is children. this Ezekiel? No, sorry, this is Hosea 4. Okay. I'm going to do just one and two here. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord, the children of Israel, for the Lord has a case, a lawsuit against the inhabitants of the land, for there is no truth or love or knowledge of God in the land. Swearing and lying and murdering and stealing, committing adultery of increase and bloodshed follows bloodshed. So he's contrasting, this is what I wanted and it's not here. And and notice, wait, nope, Passover's not there. It says, truth, loving commitment, and knowledge of God. That's what he wanted, but what he's finding is swearing, lying, murdering, stealing, committing adultery, and and bloodshed falls most of violence and violence. And in much of these cases uh, where the prophets are writing this, these people were performing these things, right? But at the same time, they were keeping well, up the rituals. It's very possible that that this was in a time in which they weren't keeping Passover mm-hmm. at all because there was a long period of time where they weren't keeping Passover. So he, he could have made that case against them and he didn't because it's, once again, the weightier things. Like they could have been keeping the Passover and not doing it right. You mm-hmm. know I mean? Not, and not in, and could have been following through the rituals, kind of like what you're saying and just missing the point Miss, with these yeah. bigger points. So either way, it's, it's, that's not the point of what yeah. he's saying. He's, he's saying like, you guys have been, not doing what I want. And what I want is you stop the swearing, the lying, the murdering, the stealing, the bloodshed, the adultery. And I want you to have love, truth, and knowledge of God. Hmm. And so that this is this is his covenant lawsuit. He could have he could have written them up for whatever he wanted and he writes them up for that. So And not yeah, yeah. Passover. Yeah, exactly. And so this this really gets back to the point of like why why if Passover is the core of the gospel, yeah. is it never yeah, why, said that? Why yeah, it wasn't said that? Why is it so it's 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 not mentioned. It's not clear enough that it's mm-hmm. that it's as important as as they're claiming. If it is true that it's the core of the gospel and it's a requirement for salvation, I think it's fair to say God was a bit negligent mm-hmm. in mentioning that. And actually, I, I would say that's that's just it's just clearly the case because we have we have verses like this, like. Um, 
Romans 3.24, where it says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In this context, he's talking about faith. Um, Galatians 2.16, where it says, know that a person is not justified by works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. So you see, Paul, whenever he's talking about justification, righteousness and and what the requirements are for that to be applied to a person it's faith every time it's faith so it's faith plus passover if that's true paul was negligent peter was negligent james was negligent uh jesus was negligent uh you look at the entire gospel of john and it's over and over spelled out again these people coming in john 6 saying jesus what do we what do we need to do in essence to have eternal life to be saved to be what do we need to do to make sure we're doing what God requires? Jesus doesn't mention Passover. He says, um, he says to believe. And he explains believing is eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which, which believing and coming to him. So it's an act of the heart. It's an act of receiving what Jesus has done for us, who he is for us. Um, and so another interesting thing is why if Passover and Sabbath observance, if these things are things that are requirements for salvation, not only is it that Paul doesn't mention it and, and when he's referencing justification and being counted righteous, he doesn't include that in the conversation. It's always just about faith. Not only that, though, when he does mention observing days, months, seasons, years, when he does mention it, it's always, it's always basically responding to believers who are judging other believers for not doing it and trying to impose on them that you must be doing this or you're not going to be in a right standing with God. And Paul, the only time Paul really mentions uh, mentions Sabbath and um, Passover is actually in a negative sense of saying, don't do these things. And, and, and rather than saying you must do these things for salvation, he's actually combating those who are saying you must do it for salvation. I don't know if I worded that right, but I think the interesting thing. Yeah. Colossians 2. Colossians 2. <laughs> Colossians 2 or, or Romans 14. Or even in Galatians, where he, he mentions that, where I think not only was circumcision being dealt with in Galatians, but there's also, I think, believers are trying to impose the, the observance of things, again, in correlation with do these things for salvation. So when it's mentioned, Paul's actually opposing it rather than saying do this for salvation. I think all that just brings us to that, that point again, is, is that if Passover is the core of the gospel, the Bible did not do a very good job at telling us that. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't take secret knowledge to figure that out. Yeah. Which is Gnosticism is secret knowledge mm -hmm. is, is salvation through knowledge. You know, we, we, we can't be condemning towards people that don't have, you know, a whole bunch of Bible knowledge and stuff. It, when, when they need to hear the message of, Hey, Jesus came, he died and he resurrected so that you could have freedom from sin and that you would have forgiveness of sin, that you could live again you know, this, this message is going to be life-changing and, and that they just need, they need to know these basic things that are, that are really quite apparent when you're reading the Bible. It doesn't, you know, you can, you can have it in this, tra in this translation, that translation, you're going to get that core message yep. because it's, it's the focal point of pretty much the entire New Testament. And so, so to, to know some of the things that, you know, I've studied for like eight years, so I know some things that other people don't know, but I can't condemn people for not knowing some of the things because it's just, it's not salvation through knowledge. They, mm. they don't need to know some of this like deeper things or whatever. It, it isn't, 
you should be able to get the grasp of, hey, God wants you to be, believe, mm -hmm. follow him, leave your old life behind. He died for you, so now you can live for him. Like in, you know, And that right there, that's the pattern that we see laid out of Abraham, where God gives us this word, he gives us this truth, and whether or not we are counted as righteous is dependent on if we receive that truth. And so as Abraham did, God made this promise. He said, I'm going to multiply your descendants. They're going to be like the, the, as numerable as the, the sand on the sea and the stars in the heavens. Abraham believed that. What God is looking for is hearts that acknowledge our creator and say, God, you are good. You are faithful. The things I may be seeing physically with my eyes seem to contradict what you're saying, but I judge that you are true. I judge that you are faithful, that you are right, and, and you believe that. To the one who does that, God says you are righteous. You are counted as righteous, and he does that apart from them first doing anything. Um, and so I think um, I'm going to read Acts 3.16, and then if you have something there, we can do that, and then we can maybe finish up with James. So, James, yeah. so Acts 3.16, he says, uh, this man was healed, and, and um, it says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Um, and it's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Um, uh, another another uh, translation that I like, um, it says he, he's been given, this man was given perfect soundness or perfect health. And how did that perfect health come? How did that complete healing come to this man? It was through faith. That applies to us in the sense that how do we get perfect completeness spiritually? Is it by doing or is it by believing? Well, it's the same way this man, this man got perfect physical health through simple faith in Jesus. The testimony of the scripture over and over is that we get perfect spiritual health, we eat the bread, the wine of Isaiah 55, by coming to God without money, we just believe and we, we receive it. We hear with our ears, spiritually we hear, we open our ears to hear with humility what God is saying. We turn away, that's gonna result in us turning away from our old lifestyle, turning to faith in him. So finish this up, let's go to James 2, because this is, this is what, the response to this kind of message is, is it always is, is that we're promoting a, a workless faith, workless faith, I guess you could say. Um, and so it would be James, James two, what verse Four, that? 14 to the end, I imagine. Yeah. So what good is it? My brothers, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without, without clothes and daily food. If one of you tells him, go in peace, stay warm, and be well-fed, but does not provide for his physical needs, what good is that? So too, faith by itself, is, if it is not complemented by action, is dead. <laughs> Here, here's the, the really funny thing about this scripture that they, br they bring this up. And I'm just challenging you, you members who are watching this. I know you'll watch this, and, and many of you, hopefully you'll get this far into the video to watch this. I know the response to a message of faith results in salvation, faith alone results in salvation is going to be, well, faith without works is dead. And so you must work too in order to be justified. You're going to point to James 2. Tell us quickly, maybe, what what is the context here? What, what, what does he mean that faith without works is dead? Is he saying that, is he saying that we must do keep Passover, which it, 
right? That would That's be their that would be their kind of core thing they're getting at is is well the works that God requires is Passover and Sabbath keeping and, and all these things, which we're going to find out. If you just look at the context of James 2, that's not at all what he's talking about. Yeah. He's, you know, I used to use this, um, this verse to, to my pleasure as well, as they do. Hmm. Um, but it's, you know, in, in our Greek mindsets, oftentimes we, we think of a cognitive recognition as faith. When we think of faith and belief in something, we, it's called mental assent. We mentally ascend that Oh, there's a God, and, and He's there, and I believe in Jesus. So I believe, so it's a mental, a mental ascent thing. In a Hebraic mindset, the faith always comes with that. The, the, the acknowledgement that there is God hmm. is going to always follow with God is true. Therefore, I'm going to do what He says. And however, when you start to look at works and stuff, you begin to weigh them how you want to, and that's that's going. That's really the core issue here is that they're going to improperly way Pat they're going to insert Passover into this work mm-hmm. uh, when they when they ought not to uh, so let me ask this when we say faith is what justifies us and they respond by saying well faith without works is dead are we promoting in the faith alone saves gospel that we don't work and I think you just answered that but what do you, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think this kind of gets back to like what order we're putting these in? So that's what it really seems like. Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's just an understanding of order where we're, we're, we need to have that faith first. And so that, that faith justifies us. And then as we're walking out our faith, we naturally do works. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we're transformed, we're going to do works, uh, you know, and, and he's going to mention some really simple ones like, like feeding people and clothing people and 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 these kinds of works and, yep. that, and that's that's going to demonstrate that I actually do believe because I believe in God's word so much. And it's resulting in love. It's, it's, yeah, it's resulting in in, in the affection and, and you know I'm I'm being conformed into the image of God. So the character of God, important thing, we take on that character of God as we go out and uh, try to be like Him. Mm-hmm. So. Faith without works is dead. I think what James is getting at here is he's distinguishing, differentiating between a true faith and a false faith. And so we are completely on board. We completely agree that a true faith will result in works. So that is why we can say we do. We emphasize obedience. We emphasize works. But the two things to, to consider is what order are you putting those in? Is it first you do the works and then you're saved? That's, I think, again, that gets it backwards. It's true faith will result in true works is what James is saying. But if you go back to the pattern of, of Abraham, and, and members will often point this out, they'll say, well, Abraham actually went and he offered up Isaac, and that was what justified him. Well, Abraham offered up Isaac like decades, I think, I think it's multiple decades after the point in time in Genesis where it says he was counted as righteous. So Abraham for years and years before that actual action of faith, he was already counted righteous. That's the, that's the differentiation we're trying to make here is that the Wumsgog will put it opposite and say, no, first you have to perform that action. And only if you do that, can you be counted as, as righteous? That's, that's, 
That's a getting it backwards. That's a dangerous, I think, misrepresentation of the gospel. Rather, what James is saying is that true faith will result in works. If you truly believe in God's love for you, it's going to result in love for God and love for others. But the interesting thing here is that as he's talking about faith that works, as you kind of touched on, the works he mentioned, it's not Passover. It's not keeping the Sabbath. Yeah. It's actually doing things that we can go right back to and 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 the world mission society displays they're not keeping yeah. they're actually not keeping the very works that james is describing so james is actually describing the works that he's 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 getting after them for that they're they're he's wanting them to do is to not to not um make judgments against the poor, right? The, the, the poor people who would come in in shabby clothes, he talks about, and, and they would say, well, you sit in this lesser place. And then somebody would come in in nice clothes and they'd say, well, you sit in this high place. So he's talking here not about rituals and observances. He's talking about, we could go back to the, the, the greatest command, which is love the Lord your God. And the second, which is love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying that a true faith, it's going to result in love for God, and it's going to result in loving your neighbor. And so um, do you see in this Passover, S Sabbath, or the things that the world society uses it to try to, they'll try to condemn those who speak about the gospel in these terms. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't see that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think you could, you could make the case that all works include all commands. So it, it could be one of the many works in a sense, but... But if, if you're only doing those physical outward symbol signs, you still have dead faith. I mm -hmm. mean, that's, those aren't those aren't the kind of works that are going to going to produce like mind, like kind. You're not you're not really spreading the kingdom out. You're not. It's it's mm -hmm. not it's not w what we should be emphasizing, I guess. And especially when you're doing that, but yet neglecting. The poor, the homeless, yeah. the the handicapped, oh, the, yeah. the broken. The Jesus said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn." Thus, He came for the sick, not those who who are well. And that's what that's what James is talking about here. That's the works that He says a dead faith <clears throat> is going to display itself by treating the poor with contempt. It's going to a dead faith is going to result in a lack of love for the poor, the homeless, the handicapped. <laughs> uh, fill in the blank there. And that is exactly what the, the world of society does. That's, that's the fruit that you see being manifested is that they're, they're focusing in, they're, they're exalting things, the, the rituals and the, the observance of Passover, they're making that the core of the gospel at the expense of actual obedience, which is exactly what the prophets, what God through the prophets was condemning Israel for. Yeah. Yeah. It's missing out on the weightier matters and, and wrongly, wrongly weighing them, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I, as somebody that tries to keep all the commandments to the best of my ability in the proper context, and I teach anyone in that'll listen to do so, I can't overemphasize, you know, certain commandments to other ones. I can't, I can't make the case that, that what he's talking about here is Passover or Sabbath or anything. Like if, if you've got a new believer coming in, you don't want to emphasize those things because that's going to, that's going to, just it, it just he gives the wrong impression of God that God wants you to that he's really got this he's like got strict regimen of like these outward things that you got to make sure you do. I don't have any fear of I don't I don't keep the commandments out of like this 
this like thing like man my salvation is kind of tied to that there's mm-hmm. that, that'd be really sad mm-hmm. to do that I, f- I feel bad for those that do that yeah uh, i i want to do all that i can because i love god and i fear him and so i'm going to do as many good things as possible but oftentimes those good things need to be in the proper context um and so caring for people showing loyalty to them love in, in the in the bible oftentimes is pr- providing the needs for that's mm-hmm. kind of a that's a good rudimentary way mm-hmm. of describing what love is providing the needs for and when we love god it's it, in in the old testament times or not times but in the tanakh and hebrew it has to do with covenantal loyalty so loving god is is being covenantally loyal to him but loving loving people in, in kind of a greek way is providing the needs for and and uh, i think that should be our first you know, along, along with turning away from idolatry kind of stuff. But as we're on our journey of walking out what the Lord's done in our life, we're going to really see the fruit of the change of our own hearts and minds. Because that's that's the battle that Paul often talks about, is this battle of the mind and, and our flesh. Because we have all these tempting things that we've got going on, and we want to squash that stuff. That stuff's it's more important to do to eliminate your selfishness than it is to do some of these outward symbols. Mm. You know, because God, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And I feel like, you know, and I don't want to come across as we're just trying to defend uh, against anything here uh, and being self-defensive. But at the same time, I want what I want to do is explain our position. And there's so many, again, who are accusing of a workless faith. And that's just not true. The emphasis here is, again, like the I feel like the accusations being brought against this gospel um, is is missing the mark uh, of the fact that God God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward appearance. I feel like the accusations are coming from a place of focusing on the outward appearance. That oh well, you guys you say you have faith, but you don't observe Saturday Sabbath. You don't keep these rituals. That, I think, is a, is a good example of looking at the outward appearance where the Lord's looking at the inward change of heart. And I think that's what James is getting at when he's talking about faith without works. So, again, we completely agree with you guys who are, who are bringing up that challenge. Faith without works is dead. If there are not f- works that accompany faith, it's not a true faith. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. But I think, too, you got to look at the context of what James is talking about. And if you use that scripture to try to say, you guys have to have faith and keep Passover and Sabbath, well, you're misusing the Bible. I would challenge you to look in James 2 and find Passover and Sabbath. That's not there. What's there is actually loving our neighbor as ourself. It's love. Uh, and Paul... Jesus, it's talked about multiple times that all the law is fulfilled in this one thing. You know, it's loving God and loving your neighbor. And then all the law is fulfilled. And I've asked this question before. If the whole law is fulfilled in that, then then what am I missing? What what is not being fulfilled? What what more needs to be added to that in order for righteousness to be attained? Um, I, I just think, obviously, nothing. If the whole law is being fulfilled in loving our neighbor and loving God, there's nothing that's lacking. Um, and so kind of the, maybe to wrap this up is 1 John 3, 23, which we've uh, talked about, but is, I think, so applicable here. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And so faith without works is dead. That's true. We must keep God's commandments. If, if we have true faith. But what are his commandments? Is it 
Passover and Sabbath and all these things, are those the commandments that we keep for salvation? Well, no, this is his commandment. It's that we believe, and it's a type of belief that results in love. That's exactly what James is talking about. It's, it's faith that works through love. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Um, he says, what counts is, is, is circumcision that's happened in the heart. What counts is faith that manifests in love. So man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. I think that's the testimony that you brought up of the prophets, that God uh, was um, angry at these people who were so focused on the rituals, but yet inside they were, they were doing, I think, exactly what the world and society is doing. They were abusing the poor. They were neglecting the poor, and the, the you know, which is in modern day what's happening is they're neglecting the homeless and they're neglecting the handicapped. I mean, even the the fact that they they neglect homosexuals and preaching to them as if we should we should uh, avoid that type of sin. Jesus came for everybody. He came for the lost. He came for the sick. And uh, you know, yeah, I wanted to make one one final, I guess, sort of a challenge, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps, to the World Mission Society Church of God, as they they have such a strong emphasis on on Passover, and I. I think something that is quite a bit more clear as something not to do and something that's actually pretty important and something that I'm concerned about what they're doing is where it says in Exodus chapter 20, where we have what we call the 10 words, um, it says, you shall have no other gods against my face before me. And then he talks about idolatry as well. But I, I think it's, much more important and concerning that they have this mother mm. God situation going on. Here they are. They're, they're, they think they're pleasing God with Passover. All the while, I think they're clearly violating one of the ten. They are the literal first. Yeah, grade. yeah. Like, like very clear, like commandment here. I know you guys are gonna make. You're gonna try to not think that you're worshiping other gods, but it really seems like you are. You are. I mean that, and that's very concerning. Yeah. I, I would be much more concerned about that case than anything that had yeah. to do with Passover. Much more concerned with worshiping a mortal human being yeah. woman in South Korea yeah. than the fact that you're not observing Passover. Yeah. yeah. It's Which is infinitely more important. Infinitely more. And that's and that's yeah. where you know you should start thinking about that. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we hope this is helpful. Again, we just, um, I know there's so much, so much that we could have, um, that we still need to cover and hope, hopefully we'll cover in the future. Continue to send questions or comments. Um, uh, you can send, we, we're kind of having you guys send emails to a new email. It's WMSCOG at greatlightstudios.com. And so we're, we're getting enough emails that we, we wanted to set up uh, an email that's just for you guys because some of them are getting kind of lost in the in the mix. And so... Um, yeah, thanks for watching, Tim. Once again, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's been it's awesome. I've learned, I've actually learned a lot. And so, cool. yeah, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime. Awesome. I look forward to it.